Hey friends, welcome to today's episode of Daily Musings, Alicia here. And for the last couple days, I've been talking about a Charlotte Mason book that I've been enjoying. It's a book series written on the subject of child education. She was an educator around the 19, early 1900s in Britain. And this one book, it's called Ourselves, it's the fourth book in her six book series, is all about character development and just being a better person, being more virtuous, and being happy and fulfilled. So so in the previous episodes, I discussed the intellectual aspects that are worth considering and developing. So today I wanted to turn our attention to the house of the heart. So this book is divided into four categories and you've, you've probably heard other personal development type books segmented this way where you have the body, the mind, the heart and the spirit. So we spent the last two days talking about the mind. I want to spend the next couple days talking about the heart. And these are the virtues that are correlated with the with the heart. Today, we're going to be talking about um, there's two aspects to this. So there's love and justice. Those are both the top level categories of heart centered um, uh, existence, basically. So I'm going to be focusing on love today. And the uh, main how many are there here, the main aspects related to love, how we can develop those aspects, and maybe some pitfalls to watch out for. So for example, we're going to be talking about pity, benevolence, sympathy, kindness, generosity, gratitude, courage, loyalty, humility, and gladness. These are all virtues like these are all I think important values to develop some of them I feel like as I was reading this book I was feeling like hey yeah I think I'm I think I'm all right there like I think I do a decent job here and then there were others where I'm like oh yeah this is, a, this is a problem area for me so I'll probably mention some of those as we go but let's go in order what is that one two three four five six seven eight nine I think there's ten aspects here so let's just get right to it so we start off with pity so this is when we see suffering and sorrow and we experience a pain in our hearts as a result. Um, this is a really important trait for compassion to experience pity because it's the thing that can prompt us to take action to alleviate the suffering of others. So the, the dark side of pity is basically idle pity. So this is when we read about something terrible that's happening or we, you know, we watch the news or we have like this passionate um, ideal. So for example, when I first started getting into veganism, like over a decade ago now, I was like a little, uh, I was a little intense as many as many new vegans are apt to be. And I had like my own little um, like crusade talking to all my family members and things like that. But the thing is, is I didn't actually like I felt this deep pity in my heart for animals, but I didn't actually do anything about it. I just talked about doing something. So this is the, the dark side of pity, because if we talk about doing something, then that can almost give us like a fake sort of satisfaction that we've actually done a thing when we haven't actually done anything to help anyone at all. So every moment of pity, which does not lead to an effort to help, basically goes to form a heart of stone, as Charlotte Mason wrote. And another downside of pity, aside from idle, is self-pity. This is when you're like, oh, no one understands me. People will give up their entire lives to brood over some injury, whether it's a real injury or an imagined or fancied injury. So of course, the I, I hardly need to explain the how that is a downside. And of course, this is something that I've done. I mean, maybe this is a, you know, an artist thing, this uh, no one understands me. Um, my life is so hard, that kind of thing. It doesn't matter. Like, how hard someone's life is. Someone can have what we would consider a very easy life and someone could have what we would consider a very difficult life. And the, um, 
you know, how, how people cope with that, um, if they pity themselves or not, makes a massive difference. Our defenses in this, in this uh, battle, basically, is to not dwell on, on pain, um, not dwell on our own pain, whether that be a bodily injury or emotional or otherwise, and not to go over things in your mind that might af- like offend you or hurt you. Because uh, this is the road that leads us, out, us to, uh, say, for example, shut out a friend's ki- kindness and make our whole life gloomy. It's just uh, not, not a good road. So it, it helps to shift the focus away from self to shifting it towards others, because then we won't have time to feel sorry for ourselves because we're not thinking about ourselves. We're not putting the spotlight on ourselves. So that is the virtue of pity. So next virtue we're going to be talking about is benevolence. This is where you have a feeling of goodwill towards all people, not just tolerating people who annoy us, not just like, okay, I really don't like you, but I'll just, you know, I'll deal with you. But finding it in your heart to give people sincere liking, even people who generally annoy you. Because the the truth is that things are not black and white for the most part. It's very easy to criticize other people, but it's very difficult to remember that a person's fault isn't the whole of their being. Um, this isn't this isn't a laziness because I think sometimes we feel like we need to hold other people accountable by dwelling on their faults and criticizing them. And it's not that there isn't a role for criticism. We, we really want to help our friends become better. We want to help other people become better. But sometimes what helps other people become better is by seeing the best in them and by treating them as like interacting with the better part of themselves, because that will allow them to reach for the better part of themselves. So the demons of this would be fastidiousness, this is a this is when we take offense to um, all all like different ways of of doing things that aren't our own ways. Um, we could also be hyper vigilant for slights, like people who are being what we would consider unfair to us, um, blaming other people without trying to improve them. So this would be just like um, ceaseless criticism that doesn't have a, a, a beneficial cause. It's just criticism in, in a void. Um, and uh, selfishness, of course, ignoring the concerns of other people. And slothfulness also, I mean, we can we can be tolerant in a little bit of a dark way too. So tolerance is good. That's a good virtue. But we can also be lazy when we don't, we don't agree with someone. We, we see our friend doing something crazy or, or something that maybe would help them if we pointed it out, but then we just, we're like, ah, I'll figure it out. It's fine. Um, we take sort of a lazy attitude towards that. So that can be how sloth, uh, is a, is a negative to benevolence. So then we move on to the category of sympathy, which I think I could also, um, describe as empathy, but this is, this is, uh, a quote that I say from the book, an eye to discern, a lever to raise, an arm to sustain. Sympathy is is comprehension. I really like considering sympathy and comprehension being correlated because it means that we're, um, we're seeing the, we're like feeling the experience of someone else. If we give sympathy to the good in other people, we get it. This is kind of what I was talking about earlier with pity. But the more that you focus on the the best in someone, the more you are able to bring it out. And on the other side of it, if we shine a spotlight on the worst qualities in another person, we also see it. We, we really find what we're looking for. Tact is also another form of sympathy. Um, knowing Tact is, is knowing when to step in, when to listen, when to give someone a hug, uh, what word is appropriate at what time. 
And the, the demons of sympathy would be egotism. And that's going to be for most love related virtues is turning the eye to the self as opposed to other people. And also indifference when someone is suffering or, you know, our friend maybe is, is hurting and we're just like, meh, they're fine. So let's move on to kindness because kindness is the thing that is, it makes life pleasant for other people courtesy, um, simplicity. So people can be kind only when all their thoughts are given to the person they are kind to. And when there's no backward glance to see how the matter affects the self. I really like that quote because oftentimes we can be in this half listening state and you guys have probably experienced this as well. Hopefully it's not just me, but the experience of having a conversation with someone and you're, you're thinking about yourself while you're, you're having a conversation with them. How is this impacting me? How is this experience like affecting uh, how I feel as opposed to turning the attention to the other person? And this is, um, this is not uh, like true full kindness is when we give all of our attention, hundred percent of our attention to another person. And of course, it's not kindness if we're keeping score. Um, you're kind to me this time, I'm kind to you that time. Uh, hey, you haven't given me enough kindness. Um, or that being kind gives us the right to expect things from others because that is, of course, um, keeping score. It's That's not kindness. Greatest kindness is that in construction. So thinking kindly of other people's mistakes or actions. So not assuming the worst. If someone does something that's, annoys us, like maybe they're late. We could, we could look at it a couple ways. So we could have the lens of, oh, this person just has no respect for my time. They're rude. Uh, no more. We're really seeing the worst in them. Um, but maybe it's like, oh, okay, well maybe um, something came up for them. They were probably busy. Maybe they had a stressful morning and they weren't able to make it in time. We can look at the exact same outcome in a different lens and a kinder lens to give people the benefit of the doubt instead of expecting the worst. Then we have generosity to talk about. This is generosity isn't just giving um, when so say I had a million dollars and I gave you like a hundred dollars. That would be like no cost to me. That's like whatever. That's like giving you a penny. That's that's easy. That doesn't even take any thought or effort or heart from me. But I like the way she defines generosity as giving at the cost of of personal um, suffering or deprivation, which seems really extreme. So I'm not going to interpret that as like, I must suffer for another person. That's martyrdom. But thinking more of um, if if I'm actually being generous, it's it's like maybe maybe I'm giving time and maybe that time would have been valuable to me as time is my most precious resource and as it is for most of us. Um, so I interpret that as like, if, if I'm being generous to someone at a cost to my my time, which I so value, then that's, that's real generosity. I'm saying, Hey, your thing is more important than my thing. At generosity's highest level, it becomes enthusiasm, which is, uh, which is fabulous. Um, generosity harbors no grudges. It's costly, but, uh, it saves you from small frets in life and provides a deep sense of satisfaction. So the dark side of generosity is when you basically just say, ah, every man for himself, let, let every person mind their own business, which is true. I mean, we want to be self-sufficient human beings, but, um, we, we want to obviously like keep that within check if someone actually needs our help. So gratitude, don't need to talk about that one too much because I feel like gratitude is well understood. You know, there's, I have a gratitude journal in my, um, like near my bedside. And I think a lot of other people do as well, but uh, gratitude just, just raises your, your mood, your vibration makes you so, whoa, that was really woo woo of me raising your vibe. Um, if, if people show you small kindnesses, you have, you have a couple choices. So 
what some people might do is feel so important, like, oh, they were nice to me because I am awesome. Obviously, they would be nice to me. You get this like puffed up feeling about it. Or if someone's kind to you, you can be grateful. Um, so yeah, I mean, gratitude, it's great. So I'm gonna move on from that one. Uh, don't need to dwell. Courage. You know, I choose a word of the year every year. And in 2020, uh, which was a really challenging year for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people as well, courage was my word. And I feel like a special attachment to that word as a result. So the the demons of courage, of course, these are obvious. Fear, cowardice, uh, nervousness. Um, courage manifests in different forms. So we could have the courage of endurance to, to stick something out, the courage of serenity. Um, this is when we, we don't lose our presence of mind when we're hurt or in some kind of danger, be it emotional, physical. If, if we panic at the slightest thing, what we're basically doing, and I'm talking to myself here because I'm a naturally anxious person, but by panicking or being nervous about things, very anxious, we make ourselves a burden to other people. So it's actually quite unkind to others to be a, like an anxious person. Um, anxious fuss to um, to small things is it is a form of like panic fear. It's just on a like more uh, microscopic level. I mean, this kind of anxiety could be related to imagining all kinds of future scenarios, like something may not go well, and maybe I'll forget to do something, or maybe I for, like haven't, uh, you know, there's something I don't know. There are other kinds of courage. So courage of our affairs. This is where we take the present moment without fearful looking forward. Um, anxiety is real, so I don't want to minimize it. it. It's like a real feeling, and it's the kind of feeling that causes a lot of suffering. But it is related, at least in my case, to forward looking. So you can keep yourself fully employed by the immediate things of the moment. And that's enough of a remedy for for anxiety a lot of the time, just things that anchor you in the present moments instead of your mind being off to, you know, a year from now. We can also express courage in opinions, which is when um, we, we stand up for something that matters to us. Courage in being frank with someone, saying the thing that's on our mind. Um, courage and capacity, confession. Basically, that we can do the work that comes our way without fear of failures, um, whether that be like past failures or, um, you know, fear of not being fit in the present moment. So I get this kind of anxiety a lot when it comes to my business because I think like I get imposter syndrome. I'm like, why would anyone listen to me? What do I know? Um, the unfitness in the present is, is something that I very much fret about. But what, what good does that make, right? So exercising courage is, you know, you know what, I'm going to do my best. It, it is courage. It's really hard to do that um, when a lot of people are um, counting on you. So and then finally, courage of opportunity, being ready for that which comes, not not seeking things out, not like a reckless risk taker, but waiting for guidance, waiting for the moments and being ready for it when it arrives. Then we have loyalty. We think that the world was made for us and not we for the world, and that we are called upon to rule and not to serve. I just thought that was a really, uh, really interesting quote. So I wanted to share that with you. Um, you know, this is loyalty to our family, like our own, our own people, our country. Um, you know, being loyal to your country does require somewhat intelligent knowledge of your country's histories and laws and things. Um, we can be loyal to our personal ties, like our, our work, giving our best, um, even, even to other people who, um, you know, maybe we have to interact with in our life um, to not be crappy to them. 
Um, steadfastness is the essence of all loyalties. This is the kind of experience you get where if you go to the same doctor for, you know, two decades or, or something, um, that's a form of loyalty. A thorough thoroughness is also a form of loyalty, um, to, this is where we're loyal to something we're already doing as opposed to abandoning projects all the time. This is when we pick something up, like say the piano and you're like, uh, instead of dabbling with it for three months, you're like, I'm committing to this for, uh, for as long as it has value to me, but ideally many, many years. You can be loyal to principles and values. Uh, the the demons of loyalty, of course, are self-interest. So this is when we focus on bettering ourselves, maybe some activity or other, at the expense of other people. This is where we, uh, you know, maybe you see the workaholics who never see their kids um, because they're, they're, you know, pushing really, really, really hard at work and it's for their own purposes, not necessarily for the betterment of their family. Um, another demon would be self-conceit. So this is when a small resentment makes you just like, I don't know, flame against other people in your life or self-importance, which, which makes you unable to give to others. Let's talk about humility. So humility isn't defined as being self-deprecating because being self-deprecating is uh, self-focused. You're looking at yourself and you're like, oh, I'm not very good at this. Sorry, guys. Um, humility is more like not, not really noticing yourself at all, not paying attention, just getting out of the way. We tend to take pride in both our good and our bad qualities. Like, oh, I'm such a klutz or, um, oh, yeah, I'm like really good at drawing. We can do, I'm going to share a quote with you. We can do few things simply, that is without being aware that it is we who are doing them and taking importance to ourselves for the fact. So simplicity says we don't think about ourselves at all, good or bad. So how do you do that? How do you get rid of your your own pride that comes with the package of being human and be humble? Well, you think about birds and flowers, clouds and stones, pictures, books, people, anything that isn't you. Just, uh, I don't know, like think of, anything. Um, Charlotte Mason gives a lot of examples that relate to the natural worlds, but the natural world. But um, also, if you're having a conversation with someone, instead of perhaps spending a lot of time talking about all the things that you're doing, talk about ideas, talk about things that you're learning about, talk about things that are interesting, or that you're observing. And that's another way out of the um, self conceit trap. Gladness. This is the last one I'm going to share with you guys. Gladness is when we smile when a bird sings. It's when we've seen a child's face. Gladness happens because a splash of sunlight falls on the trunk of a dark tree. It's it's simple. We think of gladness, I think, sometimes as adults, as a treat. It's not like an everyday indulgence. It'd be like, it's like ice cream. Uh, we feel guilty almost, or like it, we don't expect to experience gladness every day. But the thing is, is the fountain of gladness within us should rise always, and it will if we don't hinder it. And we do most of the time. And this is a big area for me. You can be glad even if things are are very difficult. So an example that Charlotte Mason gives in the book is a mother who's tending to a, a terminally ill child. And the child is not long for the world, but the mother knows that the most important thing is to be be glad, be cheerful, to lift the child's spirits and make their last days really meaningful and fun. So even though the mother would be experiencing intense pain, you can still summon gladness because that's ultimately um, going to be the most, I mean, obviously that's going to be the best choice. The thing is glad gladness is a very social thing. I mean, it's hard to be sad in a vacuum or even like happy in a vacuum. Our, our gladness rejoices other people and our heaviness depresses them. So 
we impact other people. There's no way around it. So if I'm sulking, if I'm grouchy, and this happens a lot more than you might think, um, other people catch it. Like gladness is catching too. So if you're in a, in a good mood and you have an enthusiastic spirit, then other people catch that like a, like a, like a positive virus. Why are we dull and sullen when gladness is always available, even in trying difficult times? Here she shares a Marcus Aurelius quote. Do not let your head run upon that which is not your own, but pick out some of the best of your circumstances and consider how eagerly you would wish for them were they not in your possession. Really like that. Um, good old uh, stoicism for you. We are sad and not glad um, when we are sorry for ourselves. <laughs> I, I'm just looking over some of my notes here and I'm like, oh, that was a kind of a very simplistic kindergarten way to write that sentence. We may have to pull ourselves up many times a day, but every time we give chase to the black dog, the easier we shall find it to be joyous and good. And of course, the outward sign of gladness is cheerfulness. And inwardly, inwardly the manifestation is contentment. So that's what I want to share with you. Apparently, I have quite a lot to talk about on this topic. So I appreciate you hanging with me for these long episodes. I think it's uh, super fun and love talking about it with you. So I'll catch you guys later. I hope you are doing well.